Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Dr. Dad's coming at you. This is Dr. David Wardy. Dr. Nicholas, what's up, my man? Doing well, buddy. I'm, I tell you what, I'm so excited to to talk to Dr. Gaetan again today. We had such an amazing conversation with him last time, and you know the world that we're in right now is just under so much crisis and fear and trauma and stress that you know it's conversations like we're about to have that are just so important for the times we're in and for our future. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, and for those, uh, this is the second time Dr. Gaetan's joining us, so there's not that many people that we ask to come on twice. This guy's got a wealth of information and knowledge to share. And um, if you didn't hear his first episode, check out episode number 42, Child Behavioral Health. It is a great one. We're kind of moving on from that one last time. We're going to get really into some of the new stuff that Dr. Gaetan is doing right now. And we're going to talk about an integrative approach to mental health. But real quick, again, I'm going to give a quick bio about Dr. Gaetan, and then we'll get into it. All right, man. So... He's been a child psychiatrist in El Paso for over 12 years. He was born here in North Central El Paso. Uh, he went to UTEP, which is a local college here, in 1989 with honors and a bachelor's in science. And he received his MD, PhD in 1999 from the University of Texas Medical School at Houston with his PhD in neuropharmacology. And he completed his residency in adult psychiatry in 2003 from Emory University in Atlanta. Um, he also completed a three-year research focused child fellowship from Emory in 2006. He has been published as an author in over 20 peer-reviewed journals and done many presentations locally and nationally. So, Doc, you're on to some pretty cool stuff right now. We're moving out into private practice, and I'm really excited to talk today about really the approach that you were wanting to bring to your private practice, and we're going to talk about the importance of why it's really refreshing to hear this, but I want to hear your why of why this is so important that we take this approach now to mental health versus some of the things I think that industry or whatever you want to call it has been doing in the past. It's, it's really refreshing to hear somebody that's moving outside of the box for these things and willing to kind of push the needle a little bit in a different direction to address the needs of all these people. Well, thank you for your time, guys. As I really enjoyed our time last time discussing these subjects, especially with people from a different discipline, uh, especially in light of the fact that some of the disciplines, sometimes people get the idea that homeopathy or osteopaths or chiropractic are at odds with the Western style medicine. It's really painted out to be that way. Whereas I think of all of us that are in these fields who really take this their job seriously and think deeply about what they're doing, really consider themselves facilitators of healing. We're not experts that are going to tell people, this is what you have to do and it's going to work for sure. Those of us who do the best job at this are people who are willing to sit there and say, I have a lot of knowledge, specific knowledge about the things I'm knowledgeable about. You have a lot of knowledge about your life and when we work together We'll come out with a specific individual plan for you that will help you reach healing 
in all kinds of phases, whether it's your body, whether it's your mind, whether it's your spirit or whatever it is that we practice in. So the why of the reason I decided to go out into private practice comes from the fact that I don't know if you guys remember, but I'm an inpatient psychiatrist. So as an inpatient psychiatrist, I'm kind of there to help take care of the people who are at their last end, who are wanting to kill themselves, hearing voices, their brain for that and their mind for lack of better terminology is inflamed and going through all kinds of crisis processes that is going on. And my job there is to stabilize, to keep people from killing themselves, to keep people from hurting others. And so it's a very extreme place to be taking care of somebody. And I've been doing it for years, over a decade, and have hopefully made some dents in being able to help stabilize some people. But what I notice is you go out to the outpatient setting. And whatever treatment philosophy or whatever did not transfer, whatever little amount of time, because the insurances only give you about an average of seven to eight days to figure out what dose to put them on a medication to help them, what coping skills to try to get them to develop while they're there. And the, I mean, this is, these are medications that don't even get their full effects until two to four weeks after you take the medication. So you're taking a best guess. Then you send them out there with no reinforcements back into the same environment. And therefore they bounce back. Needless to say, a lot of them bounce back and come back to you. And you don't really get to see a progression of your ideas. So I thought to myself, well, maybe it's time for me to go out there in the community because I would look around and we have very few child psychiatrists here anyways. So I said, instead of complaining about the fact that there's nothing out there, why don't I develop something? So that was my first step. Why? Well, get out there and see if you can help patients continue to get better and continue to go from the, I'm helping you not to drown. I think I gave you guys that analogy last time that I'm just throwing a life raft out there for you not to drown. And now my why is, okay, now that you help them not drown, how do you develop a system that can teach them how to swim, that can teach them how to build a boat and navigate around their ocean? That's the analogy that I thought to myself. So now was the challenge of that's the why. So get out here. And now the challenge is the how. So the why is to get out there and help in their healing process, going from a crisis all the way to health and whatever that idea of mental health really is. So that's why I created a private practice that goes out there. And my first idea is that as we talked about last time, once you get away from the crisis period where you're keeping them from drowning you and you're changing some of the chemistry in the brain, that's only to help initially. How somebody gets on the road back to health, I automatically thought to myself and my team, we have to concentrate on the other things and not the medication. We have to concentrate. The whole world is telling them what's wrong with them. What are they doing wrong? We have to concentrate on the positive aspects and the things that will support the ability of the brain to heal itself, the ability of the body to heal itself, and then get out of its way. Once you get a good habit going and get everything going, you get out of its way. So automatically my brain went to, well, there needs to be more than a holistic, a holistic approach because as we talked about last time, medications are only a small part of it, a small part of what we do and what we need to do to get somebody's mental health up. And so the basic core principles that I'm establishing my practice on, on kind of the how to take this holistic approach 
is to base it on four basic principles, which is our primary focus is to get people to eat better, sleep better, exercise on a regular basis, and then pick up some kind of mindfulness or prayer uh, habit that they do over and over again to allow themselves to open themselves up to the healing energy of the universe, or if you prefer the healing energy of God. If you get this as your core principle of every patient that you take care of, the medications will have a better chance of working, the therapy will have a better chance of working, the exercise will be able to do its job. And once you get all that up and running, then eventually you can peel off the medications and they can continue to be healthy and move forward. And that I don't want to leave any kind of treatment modality there on the table because when you go out there, especially in the Latino culture, there's lots of people who like going to the curanderas. And then there's people who are afraid to tell you that they want to, they're doing CBD oils and going to Juarez and getting IV of vitamins put in, or that I don't want to tell you that I'm going to see a chiropractor or that I'm going to go see a, somebody to help me with, um, with meditation techniques or yoga or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, bring that all to me. So I can help coordinate that care for you so that you can get the best out of all these options and create a treatment plan that's specifically going to help you in your situation. That's beautiful. I mean, I love how you spoke to just, you know, life and reality for so many people stuck in the conventional model, which is a really important model to have in place. People have to have a place to go. They have, they need a place to be able to receive that life raft, as you said. And um, yeah, I mean, I can't change a habit personally. And I feel like I'm, I'm taking care of myself really, really well. But I know that I'll slip up in seven days, <laughs> whether it's a new exercise regimen or what have you. And, and to think that these people who are so challenged, so struggling, so emotionally, you know, fragmented, and probably don't have the community support, don't have the education, obviously, to think that you're going to solve a problem in seven days you know it's it's absolutely erroneous and so to think that um you know what you're doing in this graduation of your own career is just absolutely vital and necessary for the people and the patients that you work with so i'm happy to hear that you're shifting gears and no doubt it's born out of frustration and and recognizing what doesn't work uh so you know i really commend you for someone with your credibility your experience to really step out you know, in ahead of the pack, so to speak, you know, compared to the peers that I'm sure that you're around to see that there's, the, there's a system that's broken or it serves a purpose, but there's so much more that's needed. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to be continuing this conversation with you on this topic. Thank you. Well, the beautiful thing, man, like you're saying, Nick, is like you saw a need, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, a decade of spinning with these people that are on that edge, right? And trying to keep them off the edge. You're like, man, we gotta like have a follow through here, right? And I love the way you're outside the box. I think just in your overall thinking of like, man, like how many people have good mental health even when we aren't on the edge, when we don't (laughs) sleep well, eat well, right? Move well, you know, and do all these things. So let's dive into La Mente, behavioral health, Mm -hmm. and talk to me a little bit about what kind of people you're seeing and then what that, what's that looking like as you're rolling it out, man, as you're trying to get this process going? 
And I think it's the same as you would in any city, anybody who's trying to establish a psychiatric practice, child psychiatry practice. I'm also seeing adults as well. And of course, we're seeing the gamut all the way through uh, from people who are just coming in referred from the community um, that are just dealing with everyday depression or anxiety. Of course, I say everyday depression, anxiety, but we all know how debilitating that can be. Um, so mild forms of depression, anxiety. So I'm seeing healthier patients with a little bit more support structure, but at the same time, there are also depression and anxiety and people who have problems meeting Maslow's hierarchy of needs because they're so poor. So, and they grow up around trauma. So then you have PTSD. And I'd say that a lot of psychiatric illnesses are tied back to those things of how your exposure to trauma, your exposure to drugs in the community in which you're growing up around. So you have the trauma symptoms, the depression and anxiety you have, because of that, you have substance abuse issues that come forward. And when they're young kids, you have the, famous diagnosis, ADHD, that's kind of a catch-all. Or my favorite, which I never use as a diagnosis, is oppositional defiant disorder. How do I take care of this oppositional defiant child? Which to me just means that this is a child who doesn't want to do what you tell them and fights you with everything. So you dislike them. So you label them with this horrible uh, diagnosis called ODD which by the way, has never been able to be studied or categorized in such a way to get a medication to help it. <laughs> you know, so I always tell people, it's like this kind of this thing that's out there. So I take care of a lot of oppositional kids um, that I just like to think of kids who aren't afraid to speak up for themselves. I was saying, I, this is not helping. What you guys are doing is not helping. And I want my way. Now, sometimes it's an unhealthy manner, but sometimes it's just because the system isn't taking care of them and giving them what they need. And then, of course, you have the bipolar and schizophrenia, which are the, the patients that are along the spectrum of having more issues to deal with, where they're losing more brain cells as their brain develops, they have more of their neurohormonal axis that is being off. Even the way the brain is wired is off in these patients, uh, occasional OCD. So I'm I'm running the gamut of everywhere. And we just barely started and God bless the community of El Paso. It's been very uh, exciting, but it's been very scary because in four and a half months, we're already at 450 patients. So it goes to show the need of the community. But when you're trying to establish a new culture and a new way of approaching mental health, you got to really have a lot of clamp on the quality control and so growing with our community is going to be quite a challenge as well. So that everybody who works for me understands the basic principles of what we're doing, says the exact same things and learns my philosophy of the way you approach things, the simple psychopharmacology I talked to you guys about last time, one medication at a time, you know, all that kind of stuff, push the dose, all those kinds of things. Everybody's got to be able to talk about. Everybody's got to be able to say, what I think depression is, what I think bipolar is, because too often in local communities, you have a bunch of independent practitioners, not all practicing the same philosophy. So everybody has their own ideas and they come from a hierarchy of I know best. So they don't want to be challenged and they want to tell you what to do. And if you ask any questions, they'll say, don't ask me, I'm the expert. You got to do what I tell you. And that's the way you're going to get better. And this, it's indicative of our whole community where it's top-down power over dynamics. And my clinic, I'm trying to teach them 
that we are here to serve the community. We are servant leaders. I'm personally religious, so I use Jesus as an example as the, the pinnacle of a servant leader. And when we're approaching a patient, we're going to help somebody get better. Our job is to take our expertise, go to that person and say, I want to serve you. I want to help you. And if I can just establish that one thing I think is very transformative, aside from the holistic, even getting down to the nitty gritty of how you interact with your patient, if you want to give them a chance to heal, you have to empower them to recognize they're the expert of their life. And you're just there to serve them. And through you serve them through your knowledge, through your expertise, through your ability to connect them to different modalities that could help them that they may have never thought about. But more importantly, to remind them that you believe they can heal, that they're a good person that just makes unhealthy choices. They're not broken, which is what society has been telling them for forever, especially in the psychiatric field that you're broken. There's something wrong with you. Uh -uh. There's nothing wrong with you. You just make unhealthy, unsafe choices. Let's get back to the basics of how people are healthy. Concentrate on getting you there and we can help you with the rest of it. You know, so I think that that's been my, my biggest challenge in how we're going to grow in the, with this practice. Well, I mean, your energy and your heart's in the right place for sure, because it's, I love how you're establishing the culture of the practitioners within the clinic, the staff, like everybody's speaking a very similar message. I think that that's how, you know, people can start to embody, you know, what you're teaching them is because everyone's speaking the same language and it becomes reflected in, in the different, you know, <clears throat> therapists that, that are working there, you know, right down to, to the staff. So uh, I love that you brought that up. I mean, that's something that David and I really focus on within our own clinics respectively, as well as really how can we get everybody on the same page within the space so that when people come in, there's no mixed messages. Uh, I mean, especially in the world of mental health, the, the fact that, you know, people are treated as their disease becomes sometimes the biggest obstacle, yeah. right? Because... The, there is going to be different opinions on how things go and, and someone being broken versus not. So the, I, I love that you brought some attention to that. I was, I was hoping you could dive in a little bit more there because I think there's a lot of people that get stuck schizophrenia uh, to, you know, ADHD down to, you know, just anxiety and depression. I mean, these things become such heavy diagnoses that we forget there's an individual in there. So can you, can you break that down for us a little bit more? Well, it's been my experience in the inpatient setting that by the time they get to me there, that they've already developed this internal self-image. I noticed right across the board when you start talking to patients about self-care, self-love, self-acceptance, that they all had very little self-esteem. They all saw themselves as something being wrong with them because that's what society has been telling them, that there's something wrong with them. And that's why they ended up seeing me, that they go to the crazy house to come see me. And that, and even the patients themselves, because the, the, the challenges that they have in their life lend themselves, right? Like, for example, if you have impulse control disorder of any kind, whether it's brought on by bipolar disorder, ADHD, whatever it is, um, and you know the information of the right things you're supposed to do, but your brain can't stop you from doing the things that just come to your brain before you do them, like speaking out when you're not supposed to, uh, when you're, you know, you're not supposed to hit people, but you're angry and you throw something at them and then your body catches you after you threw it. Well, inherently, 
that person is going to think there's something wrong with them because my brain doesn't work very well. It just doesn't feel like it works well. So you start with your own body self-image and your own idea of yourself. Then the community has been telling you that there's something wrong with you. And you get to, by the time you get to me, by the time you get to your psychiatrist, you've already gone through multiple people telling you what is wrong with you. And then even, even when you do get diagnosed, I think you, I like the way you put it is people become their illnesses. And how often do you, do you have people that have the positive aspect of saying, oh, now I know that I'm not alone. Other people have faced this challenge. That would be the positive spin on what they experience. And they take on that, I have bipolar disorder. Now I have a name for it. That could be a very positive thing, but I also find that there's a pitfall in that, that you may not feel alone anymore, but then you become your illness. And people will sit there and say, yeah, but I'm this way because I have bipolar disorder and I don't have any control over it. I am that illness. And I think that that's one of the places that I see it all the time. Uh, I see it, you know, even with a kid, when you, one of the things when you give a medication for the neurological condition of ADHD and all of a sudden they can think things through and they're acting differently, they tell me, I don't like who I am now. And this is not me, this is not my personality. And I have to, I have to talk to them about the fact that, well, actually this is your personality with all your brain functioning at the same time and doing, this is actually you. The other person that you believed was you was, was not, the person. And then this is where I love mindfulness. And I was just talking to David about this earlier, the mindfulness, I used to have a mentor who worked with uh, Tibetan monks and was doing all this research back in the, in the early 2000s. And even back then he was talking about these meditation and mindfulness is where all of healing is at physical, uh, medical, psychiatric, that's where it's at. And if you think about it, just the core concept, just the simple concept, which I try to teach kids in the inpatient setting. And now we're going to really reinforce in the outpatient setting is, well, I hate to tell you this, but you are not your emotions. You are not your thoughts. You're not your feelings. You are the person who observes all these things that are happening. That's who you are. And that person is always a good person. That person is always connected to the energy of the universe. That's the way God made you. I'm religious. God made you good. Everything else gets in the way. Your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings. So anything that you can do, whether it's prayer and mindfulness, which are to me at the core of being able to change somebody's view of themselves uh, into this more positive look, it really, that is at the core of healing, because first, if you don't think you're a good person and you don't believe in yourself and you think you're broken, that's going to be the biggest barrier to any kind of healing that medications, therapy, uh, chiropractic, uh, neurobehavioral feedback, meditation, anything that you could try to do, nothing's going to work until you get that person to actually realize that one basic fact. Well, and the power of belief, right? How powerful is that? One of my big hangups, I mean, you, you talk about this, but, and this isn't to knock on, I mean, all doctors probably have made this mistake at one time or another. Well, we plant these seeds with our patients, right? We probably don't think of when we say certain things, it's going to have an effect on the patient. But some of these patients take on what we say as gold, and then it can completely change the perception of an individual of how they see their reality, right? So you're talking about somebody's mental health 
when they take on their diagnosis is, oh, that's me. I mean, I remember my brother growing up, he struggled horribly with ADD, ADD, ADHD, right? And he was in and out of therapists his whole childhood, all the way through his teenage years. And I think by the time he was a teenager, he had had so many therapists pretty much tell my parents or him that like, oh, your kid's just dysfunctional. He has uh, ADHD and he has impulsive, you know, impulse behavior mm-hmm. issues. And my brother just, I think he finally got to a place where he had heard so many times that he just kind of gave up and thought, well, I'm broken. I might as well just live my life with whatever I have in the tank with how I made. Right. And you said something very important right now. You tell, you tell them you are not that person. You are the person observing those things. And I, I mean, that's so powerful to hear when you've already been given this label of thinking that's how you, how you are. Right. And if people I think knew that from like you're saying, whether it's trauma, emotional, mental trauma, that this can like, cause wiring issues in our brains and then our overall health can contribute to more of a, a dis, a, uh, an issue with causing dysfunction to where they don't understand that the reason that they feel that way or they think that way or they can't control their feelings isn't because there's anything wrong with them. It's just the body's not in a state to put itself back together, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's being mindful of just that, I think, for some people that they need it. They yeah. just need that reality of, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. There's just healing needed. And I'm going to need to do some things to get my mind right again, right? Versus what we're being told, or some of these people are being told sometimes. And they just kind of like, just it's kind of like an acceptance and it just grows. Well, it's interesting that you brought up such a, such a place where mindfulness, exercise, all these kinds of things, all the alternative pathways are finding a home to try to help. There's some interesting studies about uh, THC or C- CBD, mar- medical marijuana, and people who have severe PTSD and doing one or two therapy sessions and relieving a lot of the, the baggage that they have. It's like if people understood, that's a great interface where uh, experience that you had gets imprinted into your memory center of your brain, which is the hippocampus. And it creates, it recruits it has so many hormones released at the same time, your fear circuit, your cortisol, your norepinephrine, everything goes haywire and your amygdala goes crazy and they create this strong connection that then hijacks your brain and anything from that moment on. And here's the thing that I think is important when you think about this, all your coping mechanisms that your body comes up with, which is the retelling, I'm going to retell this story until it kind of gets out of my brain. I'm going to rethink about it. I'm going to, uh, or I'm going to avoid doing these things. And I'm going to, all the things that naturally go towards healing, but do not bring you any relief, get reinforced in such a way that it becomes maladaptive. It's no longer healing. But even the simple fact that if you use mindfulness, you just see it as an actual action your body tried to do to heal itself. And that when it helped you at that moment, when you couldn't get away from the person who's molesting you over and over and over again, because they're your dad or your mom, the avoidance, the being able to run away inside your head to a somewhere safe, which we call disassociation when it becomes maladaptive, uh, depersonalization, the anger, you fight for it. The next time somebody tries to force me to all these things that are seen as maladaptive, when you look at them just as behaviors, guess what? They weren't maladaptive when you first used them. They helped you survive. 
And those are the kinds of things. So instead of instilling in them the idea of good or bad, you learn to look at them as saying, no, that's what I had to do to survive. But now I'm observing these things and I don't think they help me now. So just a simple idea of being able to separate yourself away from these things and looking at them that way and to be able to sit there and say, I can choose. Plus it's called empowerment. So by just that simple meditation over and over again, being able to get to that place is going to disempower all that wiring that's so hardwired in our brain. So that's where mindfulness and therapy, because that's the gold standard for PTSD is not medication. Medications are just there to take some of the, the noise that the brain is making and calm it down so you can get to the therapy. Because if, if your noise is so much that you can't allow therapy to work, that's when the medications are powerful. That's where, but you know, the, otherwise the other things are not going to work, but that's where I see mindfulness as the interface of healing pathways for practically everything. That was amazing. I love how you broke that down. I, you know, again, speaking of labels, you know, the amount of people that have faced early childhood trauma that, that then, you know, recapitulate the experience in their mind and whatnot. And then the label becomes this maladaptive. I love how you said, no, that was exactly what that was the only thing you could have done in that experience is, is to adapt to the experience. And that, what, what a, I mean, that's a total mind blowing, you know, thing I think for people to receive that have experienced significant trauma, especially like you said, whether it be a parent or someone in very close proximity where there was no safe place to go. Uh, you know, when, when, whenever David and I talk about, you know, healing or, you know, biohacking or anything, it's just really adapting to a new, you know, a new reality. So, and, and I would see the, say the same thing for, for mindfulness and any therapeutics. It's how do we adapt to a, a new state of being and, and repurpose and recondition the body, the brain, the mind, the, you know, the soul body, all of it into, uh, into a new space. Um, I'm, I mean, you're, 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 you're sharing such important information. And I think just even in regards to dismantling the, the idea of where we found ourselves or how we got ourselves stuck where do you see um in a in a therapeutic process with a patient like how do you help them recognize that because i mean i hear it i, I get it does someone who is deep in their trauma can they can they appreciate that or, or what are the steps maybe that you take them so that they can really uh get into that mindset mind state where they're they're able to receive that information well, this will be the, the mindset of my practice, right? That's, that's where the holistic approach comes in and the core concepts of the brain, the body wants to heal itself. It's our job to facilitate that process. Uh, I, need, I can't do it all myself because I'm in my role in it is to get the medications right and oversee the overall practice and how it's set up. So in my practice, one of the things that we're going to have for the Medicaid population, specifically our care coordinators, what we call people to go into your home uh, and start kind of the healing process there and get, equipping you with tools. Then you have to have your therapist who actually get into this kind of treatment modalities. And that's what a lot of EMDR, uh, which is eye movement desensitization and, uh, and reintegration, uh, EMDR uh, is this type of therapy where you relive experiences and you engage both sides of the brain so they're communicating back and forth and you make some of it somatic. Um, that they got the idea from 
why people came back from World War II and were on an, on an ocean liner and retold their stories over and over again while their brain was being engaged because the ocean was moving. So you have both sides of the brain, the vestibular system, which is very rudimentary, being engaged. So the people, people started noticing that. And they noticed that when people would recount memories, they'd look up and look to the side. And there was something about the eye movement. So they started coming up with these concepts, how do you integrate the body into this type of, and with, with PTSD is very important. And I think I, I like this as an example, obviously it works for all psychiatric illnesses because in PTSD, we've come to recognize that there's a fallacy in Western philosophy of medicine. Then in the Western philosophy of medicine, they tend to, and the way I was taught, you tend to think of the body you tend to think of the mind. And yes, there is integration, but you tend to think of the mind as separate. You have neurologists that specialize just on the mind. You have these people who specialize in different parts of the bodies. And it's important and it's powerful for people to be experts in all these areas. However, they are not separate. This is, an, this is a new idea. The old idea is that the body, the, the mind, and the spirit are all one. They're, they cannot be separated. And so therefore in PTSD, that brought it to us through research where you're looking at it and any treatment modality that you did that does not bring somatic stuff into it and where your body holds memories and you don't recognize those concepts, you're gonna have a hard time treating PTSD because when you're bringing back those memories that hijack, everything comes back with clarity all the sensations, all the smells, all the feelings that you had in your body, they get brought back up. And unless you address those issues and find some way to bring the body into it, you're never going to really allow that brain and that memory to heal. So you have different treatment modalities, treatment-focused CBT, EMDR, all the kinds of things that you can do, cognitive behavioral therapy, where it's all getting into the concept that it's all one together, then I think that has the best chance of, of treating the overall illness. So me, my job is to oversee that and it's still in, the, in my practice that it goes all the way through. So the therapist can work in one of these treatment modalities. And I think the real healing energy, part of the reason I got out there too, is I looked at all the other clinics that are doing, and they send their least trained individuals that just have a bachelor's in psychology with a bunch of manuals. And they say, go out there and spend time with the patient. And it's their job to try to help them the most. And I sat there and said, this is ridiculous. Because that is the person who's going to do the most amount of healing, how they interact with this family, what they're saying to them, how they get in there. So my vision was like, well, why don't I think of those people as the shamans who, when you see, when the Native Americans used to say, we're having a medical issue, the shaman would go live with you for a week, right? And then after the week, he'd give you some advice. He'd sit there and say, you know, you got to treat your husband better and you got to cut back on these kinds of things that you're feeding your child and you guys have to get out together and go exercise some more and they're like well what are you going to do about the headache well yes this is what we're doing about the headache and when I saw the vision of how I want to use these targeted even even what they call them targeted case managers and rehab workers I'm calling them care coordinators and I'm telling them their job is to go in there and get in there with them and say I want to empower you to help you heal yourselves. And so at the end, 
even that whole concept of getting to them and saying, I'm empowering you will be helpful for somebody who's been traumatized, who feels powerless with their lives and they've embodied, no, but I have PTSD. I, this, this thing has damaged me and I'm stuck in this memory. No, 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 we're here to help you get past that. And it's with all the illnesses. So, and then looking at their life and saying, well, you know, we have all these manuals, yes, and we're gonna help you with these manuals and we're gonna work through them. But the important key is, what are you doing in a holistic approach to help yourself get better? And that's where my partner in this business venture is gonna be Dr. Wardy, is I'm gonna be sending people to him that I see as good candidates that can we can help integrate. Another partner of mine, Marco Rodriguez, who does neurobehavioral feedback, and brain mapping uh, is gonna be very important. I also plan to hire a CBD uh, specialist, somebody we can consult and saying, what roles does that play? I'm probably gonna send one of my people to get trained in IV uh, vitamins and any kind of modality that has been shown. And I'm gonna hire a nutritionist eventually once we're making enough money. Uh, and my big dream is in a few years uh, to give back to the community for them helping us and giving back to the community and establishing and creating a gym and then the mindfulness center. So that in that gym, people who come to our clinic and still pay a little bit because I don't think anybody's benefited when they just get it for free, anything for free. You have them pay a little bit, whether it's five bucks, whatever they can afford and have somewhere where they can go exercise, have somewhere they can go meet with a yoga instructor, a dietitian, uh, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's the key. The key is that person who spends the most time with them. I have to train up. So I'm going to be meeting with them once a month or once every two months and going over these concepts so that they get it. And I'm also going to create a YouTube channel where I talk about these things and have everybody listen to what I have to say because they can go back and say, I want to listen to that thing about how does Dr. Gaetan think about depression? What does he think? To, why does he think mindfulness is important? Why do they think eating is important? And all of them will be different little 15 to 20 minute blurbs that eventually the whole community, everybody in my practice, and everybody will kind of climb on board, hopefully, recognizing that they're the key. If they don't buy it, if they don't buy into the fact that they're not broken, that they have it within themselves to heal through not this big thing that I'm trying to heal myself from PTSD. Why don't we go for the low hanging fruit first and figure out how to eat well? Why don't we figure out how to get out and exercise? What's impeding you to do that? And then, you know, you'll get better eventually. Mm -hmm. Did that make sense? I don't know. That was awesome. Buddy, I'm listening to you. I'm like, this is so beautiful just hearing this, right? I mean, isn't it refreshing to hear a model where you're empowering your patients by educating them and really spending the time to do that, right? Like how many docs are just busy, man, and they don't do that anymore? And we talk about that all the time, right? Like how important is education? How important is really telling your patients, these are things you don't look past. This is playing its role. We're going to focus on these things because not enough people are saying it. Mm -hmm. I think if more docs would come forward and tell people, you know, are you exercising, are you eating right, are you sleeping right? All these basic things that people aren't doing and why they're not healing. I mean, it's huge. And then like he's saying, and then, you know, the medication or whatever is a supplement mm-hmm. to really working on the, the main things. Yeah. So I really, I mean, I don't, we could probably go on forever talking about this, but we talked about trauma. And I really kind of want to focus in on 
physiologically, when somebody has these emotional traumas, what that can do to the brain and the body, and then why it's so important that they're going to turn their diet around and eat right, right and eat right and sleep right and move like why do those things play why are they such big pillars dr Gretan? and why are they so important with these type of traumas because i think a lot of people they think okay emotional trauma that's not screwing up my body physically but i think they needed they need i want you to really give them a picture of what it really does do yeah and you know it's interesting because what you're describing is even taking it back to the basic principle, what is a traumatic event? And there's all kinds of discussions. It's not a simple subject. There's researchers that argue about this all the time because they thought they became too inclusive. Anything could be traumatic and says, well, that will create a trauma response, but they like being specific to do research. So now they're going back to more confined. Anything that, that makes you feel like your body's gonna be hurt or anything else, that's what they're considering me now. And I think they made a mistake because I think it was more correct to think about it, what you're saying, is what are the emotional and physical aspects? Because there are some people, because of just the neurobiology of the brain, and they were more sensitive to begin with, there are some people who went into the 911 tower, climbed up, brought people out, and had very few PTSD symptoms afterwards in their life. That's just the way they were, their support system, everything else. There were some people who saw the plane crashing into the 911 tower and they're still having nightmares and flashbacks, right? So there was nothing physically going on there, but just the visual impact of seeing it caused such an emotional reaction that it all comes down, the way that I look at it, trauma all comes down to one simple thing, fight, fight, freeze, or flee. That basic hardwired mechanism that's in our body with some of the oldest brain structures that we have. As soon as we get that fear that something bad's gonna happen to me, whether it's imagined, you imagined it, whether it's verbal words, whether it's something physical, whatever it is, it sets off that part of your brain and all of a sudden your brain is flooded with cortisol. All of a sudden your brain is flooded with norepinephrine, all these chemicals that make you at that moment more alert, more ready to fight, more ready to freeze. And most of us freeze, we don't fight. And some of us run away because fighting and running away are kind of the same thing. They're action-based responses versus freezing, which is a, I'm gonna pretend I'm dead and maybe the big scary monster will leave me alone. But they're all basic and hardwired into us. And then when all these chemicals are released, this emotional, Dribbling because it's not just your body, this emotionally driven chemical release that floods your brain will determine lots of things. For example, the more time you spend hijacked by that memory and it gets reinforced so that it gets brought up over and over and over again, and it's not helping you take away its power because usually when you tell the story over and over again, it takes away power. But if you keep on getting traumatized the same way or the saying it over and over again just re-traumatizes you, it gets reinforced. The stronger that thing is, the more your brain gets flooded with these chemicals, the less your brain cells grow. The only brain cells that are connecting are between your memory center and your emotional center. And those connections are extremely strong. So everything around it takes secondary part. And this is the other parts around it would be what would help you heal. So this emotional thing, will cause the, your heart to race 
physical manifestations will cause nausea in your stomach, will cause you to not be, if your brain cells are not growing, and you, let's say it happens to when you're young, and your brain cell keeps on being flooded by these fear chemicals, when you're exercising, when you're learning new things, you cannot connect those brain cells as well as you should. So even simple things like hand-eye coordination, uh, anything that you can think about is not gonna function as optimally as it would if you hadn't had that traumatic experience and that emotional experience. So that constant, and, and this goes for depression, this goes for any kind of anxiety, if you have fear of darkness and the more you experience it, anytime that you get that part of your chemicals to go, it's just not very healthy for your brain. Most of the healing things that happen in our brain, uh, including mindfulness, including therapy, they all improve our brain waves that allow for your body to regenerate, that you spend more time in a state of regeneration than of destruction. And the problem with the emotional trauma is that all your chemicals are based for extreme use of energy at that specific time. And if you're not doing anything, what's happening with all those chemicals? It's still causing your brain to your, your, have make all this energy readily available, which if you think about it, in and of itself is not a negative thing. It's actually a very positive thing. But if you keep on doing it, that's not healthy for your brain. And so you end up not being able to develop your brain correctly. They've done studies where you look at the brain of somebody who's been traumatized and re-traumatized, and their brain doesn't look the same. They have higher, their, their brain fluid is higher because you have less brain mass. So you have less brain cells. So you're talking about physical manifestations. And then when you have physical manifestations, it's going to affect all your outer body as well. And like I said before, you cannot separate emotion from your body, from your mind, from your spirit. It's all together. And spirit, uh, for those of you who are not religious, you can access your spirit as what you would call your chakras through your meditation, the universal energy that you guys talk about. That's to me, I call it God. You guys call it whatever you want. But those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about that any emotional trauma can hijack the brain and create states that will not allow you to grow the right connections that can help your brain to grow and to heal and to be healthy. Beautifully said, right? Hmm. Yeah, amazing. I, I love how, you know, you're you're supporting a conversation that, you know, for people who are, you know, religious or not and, and creating, you know, connections between the two, which I think is really helpful. Your, your message is very yeah, clear and easily to digest. So I, I really appreciate how you're communicating that. Um, I, I also love how you're speaking to the fact that, you know, we have to, we have to be able to feel, you know, our pain, we have to be able to integrate it. We, um, I think there's a, there's a, there's a gap, you know, maybe it's in certain therapies or, or maybe people just decide they're going to do their own work without any guidance. But I think there's a huge amount of value in having someone um, usher and serve and uh, serve someone going through that experience of integration, because it is absolutely important to integrate what it is you're feeling. But you said, as you said before, like the, the problem is, is that we keep recapitulating that same story and we keep finding ourselves in the pain of that trauma. Um, this is honestly where I think when people are tuned into this conversation, this is where we need help. Like we, you know, we're, sure, we're a master in nutrition, biohacking and, and physiology and all these things. We all have our own little expertise. The, the person who went through the trauma knows their trauma really well. But they don't always know how to get on the other side of it. 
And and I, what I really want to say with this this dialogue here is that it's okay to ask for help. You know, we don't have to, we don't know how to do it all, but having someone such as you, Dr. Gaitan, who can bring all these challenging concepts together, these challenging diagnoses, and realize that there's a way through and there's a way for healing and a way to rewrite the story of that trauma so it's not so locked in the physiology. Uh, so I'd love to, to hear you kind of speak on, on that piece a little bit because I think it's a, sort of a nice way to help people recognize that you can't, you don't have to do this alone. It's interesting because when to ask for help, right, is because what I mentioned a little bit earlier, our brain tries to heal naturally when you become depressed, when you're having problems with ADHD, we create our own little stories around why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sometimes it's negative where I'm, I'm broken. Sometimes it's everybody else's fault. You just create, create some kind of story that'll help you deal with your emotions around the subject. When it's trauma, which is, I, I, we're going there because it's probably the biggest thing that we can concentrate on, but it could be depression, it could be ADHD, it could be any of this. When you have a challenge that comes into your life with trauma being the one that's probably the easiest to grapple with, you're gonna come up with your own ways to deal with it. And at the beginning, it might've been healthy for you to run away into your own la la land and, you know, and to fight or to fight back so the person left you alone. Um, but if you continue to fight and it's getting in the way of you being able to be happy in your life, sooner or later, that's where self-reflection needs to come in. And when you're empowering people in your practice, it also empowers them to look at themselves and with your help to try to be as honest as they can with themselves, which is very difficult for most of us, because that's one of our coping mechanisms that we learned mm -hmm. is that did help us, that we pretend and make up our own stories. None of us are the villains in our own mind in general. Even when we think we're broken, we're just victims. We're not the mean guy who's the evil guy who does anything. None of us are. So therefore, it's hard to convince people to, to be able to be honest with themselves. But if you can, then there's a point where you sit there and say, what I am doing is not working and is not helping me, and it's getting in the way of me. And usually this is where the connection is important because if you isolate and put yourself on an island, then nobody can challenge you on what's going on. But if you seek connection and the connection with others is impeded and challenged because of the things you do over and over again, which is essentially it could be because of depression. It could be because of bipolar disorder. You define yourself by those things. I am depressed, I am bipolar, I am borderline personality disorder, I have ADHD, and if you want to deal with me, you're just going to have to put up with that. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's just you staying in your own story. The question becomes, how willing are you to be honest with yourself to sit there and say, I need a little bit of help and I can't do this on my own? The first important step. And then when you reach out, who are you going to reach out to and what are you going to do? Because I think we've talked about this before. Part of the problem in psychiatry is I think that most people go to psychiatry for the magic bullet and they'll come to you guys for that too. We talked about that last time where they go to you guys and say, hey, you adjusted me and why isn't my life better? Yeah. Well, have you, you know, been doing your exercises, your stretches, your, you know, everything that I asked you to do? Have you been watching your diet? Have you been watching it? No, they don't do that. So therefore, they get re realigned again. Well, it's the exact same thing in psychiatry, right? They want that magic bullet of the medication. That's the first thing I tell patients. You know, these are not magic pills. 
The only thing I'm giving you is a medication that will help you think about things before you do them. I'm giving you a medication that's going to help you clamp down when your emotional centers go haywire, your anger center goes haywire. This medication is going to help the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that can clamp down. It's going to help it work a little bit better and stronger than you can make it work on your own. I sat there and said, but once you get that and once you get the medications, it's not going to change anything. It doesn't change your personality. It doesn't change your challenges. It doesn't change your habits. None of that is changed by the medication. That's why the center point of my practice is going to be these medications are going to continue what I taught them in the inpatient setting. These are not happy pills. The real healing comes from eating well, sleeping well, doing your therapy, and then getting the habit going. And once you get the habit going, then we can take the medication off. We can take some of that weight off of the medication. You don't need it as much. And the stronger this habit becomes, the more likely you can keep it going once we take the medications all off. But it first comes to getting that kind of thing. Same thing with you guys. I'll, you'll see me once a week. Now you're going to see me twice a week. Now you're going to see me four times a week. And because you're doing all these other things I asked you to do, you're eating while you're keeping your information down, you're doing the biohacking, you won't need to see me as much. And that's all our goals. Our, all, all our goals should be able to have a patient not have to come see us anymore because they're healthy and helping themselves. Uh, it's beautiful. Which kind of goes against the big pharma buying out, the, <laughs> big buying out the, the doctors. But, you know, it's kind of funny because I see it. You know, if you don't actually concentrate on these things, but the patients want that. Mm -hmm. You know, adult patients, they're looking for an altered state. Adult patients don't like me very much because when I, that's why I'm in child psychiatry. Because when I was treating adult patients, they come to me and say, well, I need to take this three times a day. Well, this medication is not working. Why, is, why do you think it's not working? because I don't feel anything. I said, that's the best medication. When I give you a medication and you don't feel like you're taking it, that means you're not having side effects or immediate effects. And then two or three weeks later, you just realize that people are treating you better or you feel better. That's the best response of the medication. You're not supposed to feel it, but what people want is an altered state. So that's why I'll get psychiatric patients that come in with three times a day medications and they love their, their medical marijuana, which is, Ativan and Xanax, and they love these things that create an altered state for them. And if a medication doesn't give them an altered state, they don't think it's working. And what they're really looking for is to dissociate from their issues and not have to look at it. That's why most people don't like meditation and don't like therapy is because you're forced to look and ask that very important question. Is what I am doing to help myself working? And what role do I have in this? If you don't get to those core issues, you're not eventually going to heal from your psychiatric illness or your medical illness or anything else. What is your part in it? And we all do it. Even as doctors, we have our own bad habits. And, you know, we all have our challenges in our relationships. And that's why they tell psychiatrists you should get therapy when you can. And because we're all in that same road. And that's the thing that I find at the end. If I'm being a hypocrite and I'm not working on living my life like a servant leader in my own home, in my community, if I'm not looking at myself and how can I better myself every day to become a better version of myself, I cannot possibly look at my patient and say, let me help you with yours, mm -hmm. with your issues. How can I be of service to you if I can't help myself? So good. Mic drop. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, yeah, such powerful conversation. And uh, Dr. Gaitan, I, I, we would love to connect with you again after, you know, a number of months of, of hearing how the, the, the wheels have been greased and, and where things go from here. Um, and I love that you brought up this, this understanding that people do have to access altered states of consciousness, uh, but that's not coming from outside in, it's inside out. It's through those choices that we make on a daily basis. And that's, that's beautiful. I think that's an important message for people. Um, because we all, we all do it. We all, you know, even as doctors, what is the next best thing? What, what else could just dig in a little bit deeper and create that wow effect when really at the end of the day, it just keeps coming back to you and your self-love, the self-discipline, the willingness to receive help, um, the accepting of, of, you know, the fact that the body is capable of healing, you know, as long as we put in the right environment and support that process. So it's such amazing messages today. Uh, we always like to leave people with um, uh, some home play, some things that they can do to, to experience maybe, you know, different states of consciousness, uh, you know, um, or some self-healing. Uh, what would you recommend people to maybe even start this journey? They're, they're listening to this uh, podcast and they're, you know, experiencing, you know, deep trauma, they're experiencing uh, the symptoms of depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where's the starting place for them? I personally recommend uh, walks because we got to start with low hanging fruit. Go for a walk with somebody you enjoy and connect because the healing is not just in concentrating yourself to it's in the ability to be able to connect to others so you guys can join your healing energies together. So walk and talk about not superficial things, but talk about feelings, talk about your emotions. And I, that's one of my challenges. I'll throw it out there that I am trying to learn how to get in touch with my feelings because I grew up the feelings are weak and stuff like that. So those are my challenges. So that's why I have to work on those things in those walks or something that starts the exercise process going. And then I'm, the next step is to find some kind of mindfulness app. There's lots of them out there. I recommend, I like Headspace myself, uh, which really teaches more about changing that relationship of yourself to your thoughts and feelings. And I'm religious, so prayer is nothing but mindfulness and another way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, because God wanted you to live in the moment. He doesn't want you living in your sins. He forgives you so you can leave them behind you. We're the selfish ones who like to hold on to them. And that goes for the same way of anything else. It's hard to let go of the past so that you can stay in the, in the moment and you let the future take care of itself. So just the process of true prayer at least once a day or twice a day or a mindfulness app once a day or twice a day and going for a walk. If you do those three things, or those two things, one of the combination of the two things, because I think at the end, you have to also look outside yourself. You look inward, but you look inward to connect that energy, that healing grace that is God's Holy Spirit or the universal. What's that guy that you say is putting out the quantum field? Uh, theory? Dr. Joe Spenza. That's it. Joe Spenza talks about, I was watching it in his waiting room, that quantum field that, you know, that it, that's where the healing energy and anything is possible. Uh, that it's those little things, the low-hanging fruit, that people would be surprised how much just a simple walk with a loved one at least three or four times a week will do for you, especially if you talk about your emotions and the challenges that are going on in your life and getting the body moving at the same time that you're getting your emotional centers moving and your thought process moving. And then after the physical stuff, you then turn inward with prayer and mindfulness. 
That's the recipe. I love it. So good. Uh, easy to start too, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody does that anyway. So do it purposefully. Yeah. Watch the key. magic happen. <laughs> so Doc, where can everybody find you and Lamente Behavioral Health and uh, tell everybody how to reach out to you? And Well, go to lamentebehavioral.com. Uh, uh, you can also, if you are looking for help, uh, please uh, feel free to, and you would think that I would have it memorized by now. Uh, but I don't. Uh, do you have it there? Here we go. It is actually the cell phone number is 915-201-0199. It's Lamenta Behavioral Health here in El Paso. Um, thank you for the chance to talk with you guys. Oh, this was awesome. one, one quick question. Um, I mean, I wish we had, I mean, I'm in Vancouver, right? I wish we had, uh, or I knew some, some doctors uh, around here the practice the way you do. I mean, you did mention that you're going to be doing some online stuff, YouTube. Uh, is there any way that, you know, people can access you through, you know, telemedicine or, or Zoom or anything well, like that? This is something like in, we just barely started the practice. So right now uh, it's proof of concept. So I'm concentrating very strong on the, on the inward, making it work. Yeah. And then I'm going to hire somebody to help me uh, kind of do what you guys do here and ask some questions and we'll have like a, once I do that, I'll forward it to David and then they can, you know, put my YouTube channel out there and things like that. Because I think that's going to be a big key in the cultural change is the ability to be, have a platform in which I can say these things over and over again. More importantly, have people ask specific questions and then it can, because, you know, this is, people may not think so, but an hour is a very short amount of time to talk about the kind of things that we're talking about. And so eventually, I think, you know, there'll be hours and hours of things that people can look at and hopefully we'll uh, help them. And, and, you know, this is proof of concept. I have this vision uh, and I just pray every day that, that, you know, like you're saying, the observable, I want the quantum fields to collapse into this practice that I'm inspiring my people to make come true. Because I'm only going to be as good as the people who interact with the moment to moment and making sure that they are saying the exact same thing that I'm saying. And that if, even if they're not, that they eventually I do build this YouTube channel where people can go and look at it and hear it over and over again, because it's just a message you need to hear and you need to say it over and over again to make it true. Yeah. So good. Thank you so much, Doc. Uh, David, always a pleasure seeing you too, buddy. And I uh, look forward to uh, getting feedback from the people that are tuning in. I mean, like, like we said at the beginning, it's not every day where you get to hear psychiatrists, a PhD talk in a very holistic way where we're basically all, is, all, all are welcome. You're embracing the, the conventional model, but uh, integrating and evolving the inpatient to this private practice, which is so necessary because it's not all going to be done in a week or, you know, one or two days. So thank you. Just, just a plug for a possible future show. Cause I think this was a very cerebral uh, broadcast. I think what will be really interesting is maybe a year and year and a half from now, when we have some patients in common between mm-hmm. Marco who's doing the neurobehavioral feedback, David who's taking care of the, of the chiropractic and myself, that we come back with two or three case studies where we actually talk about how our roles were in making this kind of vision come true and to give people an example of this is the way a truly integrated healthcare delivery system can work where you're not differentiating between any of these things and how all these things can come together and help 
would be a good follow-up. It's amazing. It's in, the, it's in the quantum realm right now. It's going to collapse in, in a year's Best. time. We're going to have that, that very conversation. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.